Father, we know that one of the places uh, Satan loves to attack and undermine your working is within our marriage. And so we need your shield. We need your strength. We need Christ all around us. And so I pray as we uh, look at a great ministry couple, a great married couple, that we would that we would learn what you want us to learn from this, apply what you want us to apply, and the strength you provide. We're asking for your wisdom now as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last Wednesday, June 21st, marks uh, 20 years from the date I met my dear wife. 20 years. We met when we were like five. Um, and uh, no, that's not true. That's not true. It was 1997. Uh, we both were at the uh, the same wedding. We were both soloists at a wedding. So I sang my song, and then Chrissy sang her song. Um, it's good that I went first, so I didn't show her up, you know, after she sang. Uh, I vowed never to sing again a solo because I didn't want her to make her feel bad again. But, um, okay, all right, fine. There was different reasons I've never sung another solo. Those are different reasons. Uh, but... Anyway, uh, she had a beautiful voice and loved getting to talk to her that day. I remember sitting at the reception and her mother uh, was grilling me with questions, you know, who are you, what do you want to do with your life, all these questions. So, so young men, you got to be ready when that mother starts asking you things, what are you going to say? You know, so I told her, I'm going into ministry. And at that, Christy choked on whatever she was eating and she left the table and I looked at her mother and I said, what did I say? And her mother said she always said she was going to marry a youth pastor, you know, going to ministry. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know. Um, so I say that to say uh, I'm, I'm so blessed to have a partner in ministry that, that loves being in the same thing that I'm doing, you know, that, that, that we're together in this. And, and in, that, in that light, I think it's really cool that we're going to look at another ministry couple today and, and try to glean some things from their marriage, to look at how they did things, not so that we can do them in an identical way, but so that we can get some lessons from them, some principles from them that would help us in how we do our marriage, being on mission together. So, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Acts. We're in chapter 18. If you're joining us this summer, we're in this series called Missio Dei. It, that stands for the mission of God. God is on mission, and we want to join Him in His mission. You probably heard me praying that way today. I want to preach that way today. So even as we talk about marriage, I want to talk about it from a mission perspective. Are you on mission together? All right? If you're not married, I hope this might be something that you file away, or uh, you tell a married couple they really need to hear it, or, or something. God will do something with it. Uh, even I bet there's a word for you somewhere in here. Okay? So, so listen. Listen. This is uh, Acts chapter 18. I'm focusing on Priscilla and Aquila. Um, as I preach this, as I read this, I'm going to jump around a little bit because Acts 18 is not all about them, but it's partly about them. So I'm going to try to hit the hit the verses where they come up and really focus on them. So, We're looking at Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. 
Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Now, jump down to 18. Paul stayed on, it's one eighteen now, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancria uh, because of a vow he had taken. Now you can jump down to verse 24. Meanwhile, so now they're in Ephesus, not Corinth anymore. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home <clears throat> excuse me, and explained to him the way of God more adequately. All right. Priscilla and Aquila, that's who we're focusing on this day. Now, um, maybe the first thing you think when you read this is, how in the world is my marriage anything like theirs? I don't hang out with Paul. I don't teach famous preachers from my home. I don't move around to different places to, to, to proclaim the gospel different places. I'm not a missionary that, 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 that travels different areas. What do I have in common with them? And as we've read the text, I just want to point out a few things before I, I go into like how we can be like them. I, I'd say, first of all, have you ever had to relocate? That's what they had to do. Emperor Claudius in Italy forced all the Jews to leave. We have this on historical record, that he, he forced all the Jews to leave Rome, to leave Italy, so they had to go. And as they went, they went to this city called Corinth. They had to relocate. Have you ever done that? Yeah, many of you have. For a job, for a certain reason, whatever. You ever have people in your house? Yeah, well, we do that. That's what they did. They had people in their house. They had house guests. They had people stay with them. They had people do dinner with them. They, they love welcoming people in. If you do that, there's a similarity there. I even hear sometimes they had marital arguments, but it's not recorded, all right? We don't know what those are. Just All right, stay with me, guys, please. You know, uh, The Bible doesn't record the arguments. There's not many... I guess there's some marital disagreements in Scripture, right? You know, there's the famous Song of Solomon one where Solomon goes to his wife's door and she's locked the door and he can't get in and, and he's like, what in the world? And he walks out and then she's like, where did Solomon go? And she's running through the street and hurts herself. And have you read that? It, it's good. It's a good marital argument. You know, it's right there. Song of Solomon. In fact, there might be more fighting in Song of Solomon than romance, but I, I'm not sure, you know. Um, in any case, uh, I think... I think when we look at Priscilla and Aquila, we need to be in the mindset of they're written about for a reason. They're written about for our benefit. And they're not like some otherworldly couple. They're there for us. So what do we learn from them? What, what can we gain from them? And the question I want to answer in particular is this one. How can your marriage be on mission? How can you have an on-mission marriage. How can you do this together? Okay? Let me suggest four things on how you can have the on-mission marriage. And as I suggest these things, as I say these things, not even suggestions, I mean, I hope I'm preaching the truth here, not suggesting, but 
Um, as I say these things, I'm going to use the word your, and by your, I don't mean you individually. I mean plural, your as a couple, just so you know. So how can you have an omission marriage? Well, it's going to take two of you the way I'm preaching this today, not one of you. All right? It's a plural you. Okay, first of all, I would say, um, if you look at uh, 18, 1 through 4, you'll see that Paul's leaving Athens. That's what we were preaching a few weeks ago, looking at. And then there was a Jew named Aquila in verse 2, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Um, Now, I'm just... They had to leave their home, which meant for a time they were homeless. They, they were forced to leave the place that they knew, that they loved, or people, they had friends there, and they just had to go. And so I, I, I don't know how, how much of a hurt this was, but I'm guessing if, if you're living somewhere and you like it there, and then the emperor says, you've got to go because you're a Jew, that's a hard thing. I imagine that's a difficult thing to be able to take. And yet they had to go. So number one, I would say, I want to talk about your hurts. Your hurts become a catalyst for serving other people. You let your marriage hurts become something that propels you into a place where you can serve in greater ways. The reason Priscilla and Aquila are in Corinth is because they were forced out of Italy because they happened to be Jewish people, right? That's an ethnic issue. That's a racial issue. That's a painful issue. And they had to go. And yet God used their hurts to help Paul. And later we're going to look at to help Apollos. He used their pain for a purpose. So, in many ways, pain is something, hurts are something that, that Satan wants to use to pull you apart, to hurt your marriage, God wants to use them to help other people. God wants to use your pain to help other people. But there's a way to do that, and and I'd say it kind of looks like this. If you're going to help people through your pain and your hurts and your marriage, you've got to hold on to Christ, hold on to each other, and then you can help. But if you're not holding on to Christ, you're not holding on to each other, you're not going to be of much help to somebody else that needs that help. So sometimes, and I say this because sometimes I talk to people and they want to be a help, you know. They want to use whatever their pain is and speak to other people. It could be a loss, an illness, just a difficult circumstance, a broken relationship. You know, whatever that thing is, they want to use it for somebody else. And I think that that is noble, God-glorifying, God-honoring, but, but when I look and I see, oh, the, wait, 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 your marriage is so broken it's hanging on by a thread and yet you want to help this person, I'd say, wait, first of all, you need to hold on to Christ. And you need to hold on to each other. And then you can reach out and help the person next to you, you know. Hold on to that person. like hanging on to a ledge, you know. And, and, and you're trying to hang on. And, and, and at some point, if you want to help the person next to you, you've got to make sure that you're stable enough yourself. So I would say that. Your hurts, though, are something God wants to use to help other people. He wants you to sit down with another couple and say, can, I, can we just be honest about what our marriage looks like and, and some of the, the hard things that has happened in it? Whenever I sit down with um, premarital couples, 
always think that's one of the best things I can do is, is tell them there are going to be hurts. And I don't know what they're going to be, but they're going to be. And you're going to have to work through them. And I give them examples of what I mean. And this is what we've got to do as married couples. Show younger couples how to get through the hurts. Stay committed to Christ. Stay committed to each other. And I know many of you, I think, are examples of that. And it's a beautiful thing for the rest of us to see. <clears throat> Number two, Priscilla and Aquila. Um, where did they primarily do their ministry? Well, at least that's recorded in Acts. I see it in the home. Like uh, you see that in verse uh, 2, they met a Jew named Aquila, and uh, Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. They invited Paul into their home. And then later, they hear Apollos, who is this eloquent speaker, this preacher, this guy that knows Jesus, knows the Bible, a little bit unclear on baptism. It sounds like he's not really clear on baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he knows about the baptism of John. But he's missing a, a, a crucial piece in what he's sharing, that the Holy Spirit will come on you when you become a Christian. The Holy Spirit, you get baptized into the Spirit. And, and apparently he didn't, wasn't clear on this. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they didn't call him out publicly, but they invited him into their home. Come into our house. Be with us. And, and I look at that, and what it tells me is that your home can be one of your greatest ministry tools. Your house. You invite people into your house. You, your own children see your example. I mean, listen, Sunday morning, it's, it's like always chaos, you know? It's like trying to get out the door to church. You know what I mean, right? Trying to make sure your hair is done, your teeth are brushed, you look halfway decent, out you go, right? But once you get in here, at least for me, I walk in here and it's like all smiles and how you doing and good morning. doesn't matter what happened at home. doesn't matter, you know, but, but we're okay here. I, I, I know part of that is just spiritual opposition on a Sunday morning. I, I know what that is. I, I know what's going on. But I also know that Whatever I am here needs to be reflected at home because what my kids see in the home is private. You don't see it. My kids see it. And that's where they're learning how to do marriage, how to do life. That's where they're learning, hopefully, what it means to have integrity, what it means to love your spouse. They see that in the home. They're definitely not getting it on TV, I'll tell you that, or the Internet. They're getting it in the home. That's the lesson right there. Your home's your one of your greatest ministry tools to reach people as a couple. And then there's people you invite into your home. You know, there's people you meet here at church and you say, you want to come over for dinner tonight? And they come over, you meet them, you talk to them, and you build a relationship and it says, I value you so much. I'm inviting you into my world. I'm inviting you into my life. Come into my home. That means something to people that are here at church. They come in here and they don't know anybody. And they're invited to your home. It means something when your kids invite their friends over. And I know some of those friends, you know, you say, oh, I like this one, I don't like this one, this one drives me nuts, whatever. But those friends come in your house and they see your marriage. They see how a family functions. They see you praying before a meal. They see the care that you have for each other. And for some of those kids, it might be the only place they ever see stability in a family. 
And it's because you invited him into your home. Home is a place of ministry. If you make it that way, I'd encourage you to think that way. That's what Priscilla and Aquila did. Our house is open to Paul. It's open to Apollos. Whatever you want to use it for, God, this is your place. Use it. Thirdly, um, there's this thing about Priscilla and Aquila. And I don't know if it's a real thing or something that I just see. Other people have seen it. But it's just in, in, in the wording of their name. Priscilla and Aquila. Or is it Aquila and Priscilla? Whose name goes first on the business? You know, it, it, it's, it's that thing. You know, who, who's first? Not who's on first, that's different. Um, who's, who's first? And it's led some pastors and it's led some scholars to say all sorts of interesting things. I, I'd say it's all speculation, though, because the Bible doesn't tell us anything special about why is Priscilla's name first. Okay, so here it is. I've read Priscilla and Aquila four times this morning. There's two other verses in the Bible that talk about them. So that means there's six references to them together. Four times, Priscilla's name is first. Two times, Aquila's name is first. And you can tell he doesn't like it. I'm just kidding, okay? Um, just kidding. Uh, it's... I'm not into speculation. It's sometimes interesting to think about when you study for the week. But... If you were to ask me what I think about that, I think there's a possibility that Priscilla might be the more prominent person in the church. I suspect that. And when we get to heaven, we can ask that. And maybe they'll laugh at us and say, are you crazy? It just sounds better that way. You know? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. But, so I don't want to speculate too much. But, but it makes you wonder, like, when they were talking to Apollos, like, who spoke more? Maybe Priscilla's the teacher of the two. But it leads me down an interesting path. And, and I'm not going to make a big point about speculation because that's not a helpful thing at all. I want to make a point about the two of them taught Apollos. The two of them welcomed in Paul. The two of them showed hospitality. I, I don't know if they had the same spiritual gifts. Like, holy cow, you guys married and you have the spiritual gift of teaching and so do you. You have hospitality and so do you. Like, how often does that happen? I don't know. And I have my doubts that that's the way it is. But I do know this. Let me talk to you men real quick. The men in the marriage. I read Ephesians 5 and I see Paul saying, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as to Christ. And I'm like, okay. So the Lord wants husbands to be leaders in their family. To be servant leaders of the family. Not dictators, but servant, sacrificial. You're the chief servant of the family. You lead the way Christ does through sacrificial love. That's what we're called to do. Head of the household. Now, I know in marriage it happens that sometimes the husband says, well, I feel like my wife is the spiritual one. She's like the teacher. I listen to her pray I will never have words like that. I say, God, you're good. You know, that's, that's good enough. And, and she's praying and she's using words I've never even heard of before in my life. 
I get out my phone and Google it while she's praying. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and, and some of you, I, I'm just guessing with the size of this group, there are men who feel that way. Because of the way my wife prays, the way she knows the word, I feel like I'm not the most spiritual one in the family. How can I lead? How can I have a voice when that's me? And so you step back. Let me tell you why that makes no sense whatsoever. I'm the pastor of this church. I have the highest position in this church. Do you think that I'm the most spiritual person in this church? The most mature? Do you think I've walked with Christ the longest or know the most verses? Ask my kids, they'll tell you. (laughs) If it requires the most spiritual person to lead, then I have no business leading. If you've got to be at the top of the spiritual pile to be in that position of leadership. No, I'm here because I'm called to it, and this church has affirmed me in it, and I'm here leading. So if you have to be the most spiritual, most mature, be at the top to take the role God has called you to, it'll never happen. You know? You'll always have a good excuse not to. But if you read the Word of God and say, this is what it says and this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to love my family as Christ loves the church. I'm going to set an example for my children as the husband, as the father here. That's the role God has given me. Then you do it. You follow Jesus and stop worrying about which one of you is more. Humility removes rivalry. Humility removes competitiveness. Humility says, I'm going to follow Jesus and not worry about this thing. Uh, I was talking to my boys this week. um, Or was it last week? There was an article that got published recently after the Warriors won the uh, NBA Finals, and uh, they were talking about the greatest duos in basketball history, you know. So you had, like, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant. Uh, this year you had, of course, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, right? Great, a great pairing. And, of course, during my childhood, the greatest one of all, of course, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, right? Right? Amen, amen. All right, there we go. Okay, thank you, thank you. You're too quiet today. It started that way this morning, and it's still going that way. Come on. Um, and so we're talking, and we're like, oh, this one's the best. This one's the best. No, they're overrated, you know. So, so we're talking through this. And I think to myself, during the finals, you've got these great duos in basketball history, the greatest. They're talking right now about it. I see them. Um, and uh, of the two... Only one gets to be the MVP, right? Only one. And yet, to be a really great pairing, unlike maybe Shaq and Kobe, right? Because they were always, you know, kind of butting heads, right? To be a truly great pairing, you've got to have humility. You've got to be like, I'm just going to do my best. And I don't care which one of us gets the award at the end. I'm just going to play my best. Now, I'm not speaking about humility as far as I don't know what's going on in those players' hearts. I really don't know. But I know if you want a missions-focused marriage, if you want to be on mission together and you're always worrying about who's more spiritual, you'll always be stepping back. You'll always be competitive. You'll always be, you won't be one, you'll be two, competing. And you've got to be together on this. You've got to have humility. Embrace the role God has given you. Don't apologize for it. Do it. Do it.
I wonder if we were to ask Priscilla and Aquila when we get to heaven, you know, why was her name first? I wonder if they would just say, who cares? Who really cares? One of the things I do is I I write my sermon and then I, I read other people's sermons or listen to them and see what they've said about stuff. And every time I heard the Priscilla and Aquila thing and and all these different speculations of what they mean for the church, I say, who cares? This is the real point. They did this together. Isn't that the real point here? They did it together, side by side. Which leads me to my last point, my final thing I would like to share with you. Uh, I'll say it like this, um, and then I've got to explain what I mean by it. Uh, your hearts are one, your hands are four. In, if you want to do ministry together, if you want to be a powerful marriage impacting people for the kingdom, a channel of blessing, then you've got to pursue oneness even though you've got four hands among you. You know, you've got different gifts, different abilities. Again, I don't know who had more hospitality of the two. I don't know who was like the real teacher. Was it both of them? Kind of sounds like it. Um, it it's possible to read Priscilla and Aquila and go, look at this. They did ministry together. They were tent makers together. Like, like, how many of you could work at the job with your spouse? Okay? Be honest. I'm not asking for raising hands. Sorry. Um, none of you could. I'm just kidding. Um, we often joke, you know, when, when, uh, when, when the secretary takes a vacation, Christy always says, I'll come in. You know, I'll be, I don't want you bossing me around the office, Christy. That's not going to work for me, you know. Nothing's going to get done if you're in the office, right? You know, like, we're going to be, like, talking and, It'll be a good time, but it won't be what we need to do to get stuff done. Um, so we, we often joke about that. Um, <laughs> your hearts are one, your hands are four. I'm guessing you have different abilities than your spouse. And so you say, look, we're never going to work at the same job together like Priscilla and Aquila. We're never going to like sit down and like teach someone together. We're just not like, we're not the same person. <laughs> but your hearts are one. And so I'm guessing your oneness can work out into your hands in a way that's beautiful. I bet you can harmonize your gifts. Does that make sense? Harmonize your gifts. So, so you know, around here, well, let's do stereotype just for a second because it kind of helps talk about this. We have the, the men's firewood ministry. I don't know if any ladies are out there chopping wood. I, I don't know of any. Now, if you are, you can let me know, and I'll make sure I talk about you because that's awesome if you're a wood-chopping woman. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> but, but we, <laughs> I never know what's going to come out. Okay. So, um, <laughs> uh, anyway, we deliver firewood to people in the winter and that's an awesome thing to do. Now I know of a ministry at the Lutheran church across the street and I've seen it cause I toured their church and I saw it in the basement they have all these blankets and things, and the women get together. I was there while they were doing it, and they're sewing blankets for people that are in need, that, that need warmth. So whether it's the warmth of firewood or the warmth of blankets, stuff's getting done here, right? Like the Northwoods is keeping people warm. This is good. This is good news for people who need warmth. Okay. Um, how would you possibly make that work if you wanted to be more of a, a marriage partnership in what you're doing? I'm not saying you have to do this. This is not thou shalt. This is like maybe dreaming a little bit. Just just having a vision for what God might be doing. You know, 
What if the men delivered firewood and, 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 and the wife went in and talked to the owner of the home and shared Christ while they're stacking the wood out there? That's cool. What if it's the husband that gathers up all the belt blankets and boxes them up and sends them wherever they're going at the post office? I, I, I don't know. It's not a thou shalt. It, 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 it's a dream a little bit. What's God doing? What's he asking of you? I know you have different gifts, and sometimes that means someone's at the church on Monday and someone's there on Wednesday and you're doing different things. That's okay. That's totally okay. But what might it look like to be more of a Priscilla and Aquila? I think that's an awesome thing too. Listen, when I was, when I was in Watoma as a youth pastor, you know, 10 years there, uh, the latter years, Christy was um, the main worship leader of the church. Like here, Eric and Christy share week-to-week responsibilities. Um, there, she was leading every week as a volunteer, every single week. And I remember sitting there, I don't know if I ever told Christy this, this may be the first time you're hearing this, but um, I remember sitting in the, in, in the chair, and she's leading worship, and then the senior pastor gets up and he preaches, and I always thought, I want to be that guy, you know? I want to be the handoff guy, that she's called people into praise, and I call people into preaching. You know what I mean? And, you know, it didn't happen until 10 years into my ministry that this is what we have now, where she could praise and I can preach. And I don't know if it'll always be like that, but that's the way it is right now. And it's a wonderful thing, and it's something that I say, what a beautiful thing you've done, God, that I couldn't orchestrate. You did it. And that 20 years ago, somehow you... You made me the soloist at a wedding I had no reason to be a soloist at. Okay? I had no reason to attend that wedding. I didn't know the family. I didn't know nothing. But you knew, even though I gave my best shot at singing, <laughs> even though I gave it my best shot, what you really were calling me into was preaching. And that she was going to be singing, because obviously that's what she does well. She does awesome. Uh, so I'm not saying you've got to be us, but I am saying... Don't you think sometimes it's a beautiful picture when you see a husband and wife serve side by side? How could you live that out? One more, one more example I'll give you. Um, I love our uh, custodian, Cindy Pico. There's a reason the church always looks spotless, and it's her, you know. She has a great job. Sometimes I come in here, and I see Art helping out, her husband, Art, you know. Sometimes after a wedding or after a memorial service, you have a quick turnaround, right? We still have to get ready for Sunday, the Saturday night. And you see the two of them working, getting things ready for you this morning. And none of you see that. Only, you know, maybe some of you have seen it, but I see it. And to me, that's a beautiful thing. You'll see it at fun clubs sometimes, too, uh, when they serve together. Uh, it just, it does something to me. Can I ask you to dream for a second? Can you close your eyes for a second? And you that are married, can you just dream for a second? What would it look like to be a Priscilla and Aquila in your marriage? Just take a second.
worship team, would you come up? Father, I, I pray over the marriages here in this place, in this church. I pray for the ones that are hanging on by a thread. Oh God, may you move them to pursue health. To pursue forgiveness and reconciliation. To pursue a different and better way of doing marriage. I pray for those couples that just want to be, in a greater way, one. A partnership. Father, I pray that you would do a a, a powerful work of knitting their hearts together. I pray you'd help them dream a little bit about what it would look like to be on mission together. What does it mean for their kids? What does it mean for what they do? I know every marriage looks a little different. But Lord, certainly we can identify oneness and service when we see it. And so I pray that you would work out this truth in our marriages in this place. Our spouses are a gift. They're partners. They're fellow workers, co-workers in serving others. Help us dream a little bit. In Jesus' name, amen.